Before we dive into this episode, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you love listening to this show, please take a second and leave a review. It'll help boost the show so that others struggling in a toxic workplace can find it. Thanks. I've actually worked at this hospital for 16 years. So it wasn't a new position that I interviewed for. It was just an additional responsibility that was given to me. This is Connie. She's a director of two large departments at a publicly funded hospital. The person that was in need of assistance from a director level had approached me, and we'll just call her Dr. M. She approached me asking if I'd be interested in assisting her clinic. And because I've done this for so many years, and the clinic was such an important part of the community, I definitely was very interested in putting my hands on the clinic to try to improve whatever they were lacking. This hospital is actually in the community that I grew up in. So for me, it's very important to do whatever I can do to help my people out. Connie is passionate about her community. She has put her heart and soul into this job at the hospital for the past 16 years. But Dr. M had plans for Connie, which would prove to derail all her efforts. My name's Carly, and this is Toxic Workplace, a podcast that gives a platform to those who have survived a highly toxic work experience, only to come out with newfound wisdom and a renewed sense of self. A toxic workplace is more than just the daily grind. It's a soul-crushing experience that will chip away at your sanity until you're about to lose your mind. It's an abusive relationship that's hard to leave. And the longer you stay, the more you lose sight of who you set out to be. So when she approached me, I was already you know, doing a lot of work, but I, I thought to myself, you know what, this is a good opportunity. Although a lot of people had said, oh, you better be careful. And I'll tell you right now that whenever people tell me you better be careful, it's like a trigger. It just sends chills down my back. She was somebody that had a lot of political power. She was a professor. She ran with the big people in the politics world. She barged into the C-suite and demanded things and things got done. And if anybody crossed her, they were like history. They were gone. And I had worked in another position uh, in the same hospital where my boss had told me, oh, this woman is vicious. She wants me to fire so-and-so, but I had to stand up to her and say, no, I'm not going to do it. Mind you, she does not have any type of position where she has that kind of authority. But she walks around pulling her political strings, threatening people, and bullying her way through getting things done. So when she approached me, I said to her, listen, I'm going to be very honest with you. You have a bad reputation. but." I'm not going to break the law. I'm not going to break the rules to make you happy. But having said that, I'm the kind of person that if I don't want to do this way because it goes against policies and procedures, I will find a way for us to do it the legal way. So I'm not just going to leave you hanging. She was like, fine, great. I don't care. Let's just move forward. I heard great things about you. I know you're a hard worker and you get things done. Yes, I get things done. That's I'm a worker. 
I don't come from the public sector. I worked in private for many, many years. So I still have the mentality that people can actually get fired. <laughs> so you work, you know, but, you know, once you move into the public sector, people have this different attitude like, oh, we'll do it tomorrow. But I just have never grown into that. So I'm still a doer. Connie is highly motivated to get things done, to make changes for the better. And she loves her community where she's always looking for ways to contribute. Dr. M's request for assistance was enticing for the fact that Connie would be able to have access to a part of the clinic that really needed some improvement. Her program is very important in the community. I thought, let me get in there and help out, you know, just because it would benefit the community to make sure that people were getting checked in on time, people were being seen, we were holding people accountable for behavior, et cetera, et cetera. The reputation was that people were just running rampant in that clinic. And it's not fair, right? You can run rampant, but the people who suffer, of course, are the patients. And just to kind of give you a quick sidebar, public hospitals, public teaching hospitals, like any Johns Hopkins, all these huge, large hospitals, they have an affiliation with a medical school. So the professors that teach medicine also conduct surgeries, see patients at these public hospitals. So it's like interchangeable. But these doctors are not employed by the county or by the city. They are employed by the university and they have a contract with the county or the city. So they're not held to the same standards as the public employees. Connie's sidebar about the public hospitals is important to this story because it takes place in a public hospital and Dr. M is contracted from a university. So she isn't held to the same standards as she would be if she was employed by the county or the city. This is also part of the reason she can get away with being a bully. After Connie accepts Dr. M's proposal to work with her clinic, Dr. M is extremely accommodating and friendly, which didn't last long. Once Connie was up and running, the side of Dr. M that she was warned about started to show through. So as I going in there, she's very giving. Oh, I'm going to decorate your office. I got you a new desk. I got you a new carpet. What else do you need? I got a painting. So all this sort of like, I felt like I was, like my husband was catering to me. And she's like, oh, there's all these great things, whatever you need, you tell me, I get it done. Oh, okay. Wow. I've never had a boss like that. That's great. So, okay, great. You know, we're getting things done. I hired my staff. I actually moved some of my staff from my existing position over to this to help me out. So everything was going great. And then I hired an assistant and she's black. You know, I could tell there was some kind of friction. And I asked my assistant, what's going on? I see you dodging her. And she said that to me straight out. She's a racist. I said, what? In a situation in the public sector is that when someone tells you that, you are mandated to report it. So I said, okay. She said, she says very inappropriate things under her breath, and I just don't feel comfortable. So I went and I made the report. And of course, in the public sector, when you make a report like that, you are removed. You can't remove the doctor, of course, right? So you are moved to another department. So she left. 
So I was kind of concerned. So this is how it works in the public sector. Instead of addressing the doctor, investigating the complaint, or implementing a resolve with the doctor, they move the assistant elsewhere. But when you don't address problems, they grow and infiltrate even further into the organization. So time's passing by. I had a doctor, a female Latino doctor, and she was very upset. And she said, you know what? I'm going to leave. I cannot work with that woman anymore. And I said, what do you mean? What's going on? She said, I'm the director of that clinic. And she invited the junior doctor under her, under the Latino doctor, who's white, to this fundraising event for that clinic. And I said, what? And she said, she didn't invite me. So then I thought to myself, okay, I I was never raised, I'm Latino myself, but I was never raised to think you're not getting something because of your race or because you're a woman. Those things came way after, you know, when they're slapping you in the face. So it's kind of a hard reality. At this point, I'm a little worried already. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? You know, President Trump wins the presidency. And that morning we had a meeting. So I walk in to the meeting. The doctors are there. She's sitting there. And she says, hope you all have your green cards. And I looked at her. And I said, are you talking to me? She said, yeah, President Trump is going to get rid of all of you. And I said, not me. I was born here. And I just I just started laughing and I sat down and I thought in my head, oh, shoot, this is getting worse. This is like now she's in a comfortable level right now. She can make comments and who's going to turn her in? Nobody. It's a power play. Right. And these meetings that she had. After a while, I realized that these meetings were not meetings. They were opportunities for her to exert her power. So she would walk in and the first thing she would say would be, oh, I just had a meeting with so-and-so, somebody very powerful in politics, and we had lunch. And she told me, whatever you need, I'm going to get it for you. So she's, you know, it's like an abuser, right, prepping her victim. So it's like she's grooming her victims. That's what it felt like. And I came from a relationship where I was involved in domestic violence. So I was starting to feel the triggers. I was starting to feel like I was in that same environment. I was like, hmm, this is kind of weird. So, okay, so that passed. And, but I can tell there was tension between me and her because there was things she wanted me to do or I wasn't as submissive as she would have liked for me to be. Like that comment that I made, I'm not going to get deported. I, I was born here. She didn't like that. Gut instincts are almost always right. The feeling of control and manipulation that Connie was feeling was familiar because she had been in this dynamic before with her ex-husband. But Connie wasn't going to back down to Dr. M, which wasn't what Dr. M was expecting. She hand-selected Connie because she knew she was a doer, a hard worker, and she thought she would be able to bully her into doing whatever she wanted. But her plan backfired, and now Dr. M would create nothing but conflict with Connie. Time passes by, 
and I have a new supervisor, my new boss, and he is awesome. Like this guy does not play games. He's on it. So she has a meeting with me and my staff. We're all minorities. Okay. We're all women of color, Latino, uh, Filipino and black. So she says to us, I'm going to move you guys to the other building. Mind you, the other building is maybe like half a block from the clinic. And I said, why? I said, I, I can't manage a clinic from half a block away. I need to be in the proximity. She's like, well, we need more space so we can do mental health stuff. Okay, so this is for the purpose of patients, correct? Yes, absolutely. Well, she was gaslighting us, right? She moved us all far away so she can do whatever the hell she wanted to do. So, okay, so I, you know, I can't see what's happening. So I'm over there secluded. My boss is like, what's going on in that clinic? I was like, I, I can't even tell you. And, you know, I, I can't be walking back and forth from the clinic to half a block. I mean, it's a huge campus. And he's like, okay, let me go see what's going on. So he goes in there and he says, hey, you know that there's nothing in there. It's empty. And I was like, yeah, but she says she's, she's moving people in. He goes, I don't think so. It's empty. So she was using it as storage. Um, after a while, my staff, they're coming to me and they're like, okay, this feels weird. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I, I, don't, I don't like this feeling. So everyone is scared. So I told my boss, I was like, hey, come on. Like, he's like, I know, I know. This is crazy. Like, let me talk to the CEO. Crickets, crickets, crickets. Of course, I'm thinking back. When this new CEO came in, they had like a huge unveiling. And who was sitting in the front seat? Dr. M. She was right there taking pictures, just in the forefront. I mean, she will stick herself in anything. So I'm like, okay, well, of course, he's not going to say anything because, you know, they're friends. Now we're getting closer. This is 2019. I'm went on vacation. And when I came back, my whole staff barges in my office. And they're like, boss, we need to talk. I was like, oh, my God, what happened? I just got back from vacation. So she and her minion had barged into our area and had requested that one of my doctors write a letter on behalf of one of her friends, who was a patient of her, I guess, at another hospital, to say that this person was psychologically clear to have uh, surgery. There are some surgeries that you need to have a psychological exam. And my employee says, uh, no, I'm not. Uh, because first of all, that person's not my patient. That person is not even a patient in this hospital. And I'm not going to put my license on the, on the line. I could, you know, I could be suspended for that. She pounces her hand on the desk and says, you're going to write that goddamn letter. And she said, no, I'm not. And next time you want to talk to me, I need to have my supervisor here, which is me. She barges out. So, of course, now she says, I feel like I'm being bullied. I'm being harassed. And so now I have to make another report, right? Now I have to make a report saying that this employee of mine feels harassed, bullied by this doctor and her minion. So as soon as I do that, I get a call from HR and they said, well, we're going to let them know that they cannot come to your area anymore. Oh, great. Until further investigation. Like three days later, she comes into my office 
So obviously no one had told her she couldn't come into our area or someone called her and she just didn't care. She sits down in front of my desk and she says, I need you to relinquish supervisory uh, responsibility from that doctor. And I was like, no, I can't. She said, yes, you can. I said, no, I'm not. Not that I can't, but I won't. I said, first of all, you are not a government employee. So you don't have the authority to supervise anybody. I told her, actually, you cannot because she has filed a complaint of harassment against both of you. And she looked like she was going to, you know, fall apart. Like she was like a, like a serial killer, you know, ones that are caught, right? Like she couldn't believe it. And she's like, I said, God damn it. You're going to relinquish the supervisory uh, responsibility. I said, no, I am not. Yeah, she was pissed. She was pissed. Like, how dare you? She said, the chief medical officer said, you have to. I said, okay, well, let's get them on the phone. Just to kind of give you like a quick sidebar, the chief medical officer was this guy who was like, shoot first and ask questions later. And he had been fired from the, from the hospital. She went to the government officials and got his job back. So now she's got this leverage on him, right? She says, oh, don't worry. He owes me. So he does anything I say. She felt like she could say, call him. And I was like, okay, I'll call him right now. But when I called, he wasn't in his office, of course. So, so she gets up. She's mad. I mean, she is fuming. She makes it to the door. She turns around and looks at me and says, look at this beautiful office that I created for you. And I looked at her. I said, this is a government office. She barges out, slams everything like, a, you know, she looked like a devil. And I'm like, oh, my God, what the heck? So here I go. When Dr. M doesn't get what she wants, she will see to it that there will be hell to pay. Not only did she throw a tantrum after being told no, but her passive-aggressive comment as she walked out of Connie's office was a warning that she could take everything away. Now, I'm no psychologist, but there are many instances in the story that closely align Dr. M's words and actions with that of a psychopath. According to Psychology Today, a psychopathic boss engages in behaviors such as degrading employees, check, lying and being deceptive, check, and engaging in physical aggression, check. These bosses lack empathy and ethics, yet make their way to the top using charm and intimidation. They charm the people they need to gain power from and intimidate those that they perceive as weak. The problem in this story is that Dr. M amassed so much power by positioning herself through politics that she couldn't be stopped. So for the next couple of weeks, I'm feeling a little uneasy because she's too quiet. It's like an earthquake just waiting to happen. So my psychologist, the doctor that I had, she makes a decision that she's going to reach out to the director, like the director, right under the, the politicians. She's got power. She's the director of the whole Department of Health Services for the whole county. I'm in, I'm in a metropolitan city, so it's huge. So she actually gets an appointment to go talk to her. She says, come and see me. I want to talk to you. And so she's excited. She's like, oh, my God, guys, I think I'm going to get something done here. I'm going to go meet with her. She wants to hear my story. Maybe this is the end of this nightmare with this woman. And we're like, oh, my God, thank God. 
she goes out and she talks to her. They were there together for three hours, everything. She comes back. She's like, oh, my God. She wanted to know everything. So she promised me she's going to send an investigator. And, yeah, about a week later, we got a call and a employee relations uh, investigator showed up. She was in my office for like eight hours interviewing everybody. She had like 79 pages worth of affidavits. Everybody had a story. And then we didn't hear anything again. Nothing. 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 And so she's laughing at us, right? She's like, oh, these stupid, you know, women think they can do something and they they can't touch me. So I call my friend who is in HR and I say, hey, check it out. Like, what in the hell is going on? And she said to me, they're not going to touch her. If you want to get something done, she said, you're going to have to complain to the university. I said, why? This is crazy. Why do I have to go and complain about her? I'm an employee of this public sector. It's your job to protect me against this person. If it was another employee doing the same thing, you guys would have reprimanded, you guys would have suspended, even terminated. But because this doctor is a contract, I have to go out of my own way and try to go to the university. Who's going to listen to me at the university? they are be like, who the hell are you? So at this point, we're just kind of like, okay, I guess this is just a battle that, you know. But I think that she's hearing through the grapevine that we are making these complaints because now here comes the microaggression. So she's badgering me via email that she wants to hire another, you know, person. She wants to hire another person. She wants to hire another person to take care of her clinic. But I'm like, okay, so can you explain to me what exactly we're not doing so we can address it? Because, you know, from what I understand, we've done everything. And so in her email, she says, I demand a meeting with your supervisor, the CMO, a friend, right? And her and her minion. So my boss says, all right, we have a meeting with this lady. I don't know what the hell she wants now. Okay, well, let's go. I'm I'm nothing to hide. So we sit down. Of course, the CMO's there, her friend. She says, you're so smart and you're so professional. I just want these things to get done. And I said, okay, well, what exactly are we talking about here? Because you still haven't answered my question. And she's looking at me. She says, the lights in the lobby. I said, well, I'm not facilities. And you know that I don't have any control over that. What else do you have? Um, you haven't hired the nurses. Okay, there's a hiring freeze, and you've known this. So unless you are not touched by this hiring freeze, let me know, because there's nothing we can do. So she's just looking, and the CMO's like, well, you know, it seems like we're having some personality problems here. I said, listen, I'm here to work. I'm here to work. This is what I do. So, okay, well, what, let's reconvene in three months. I'm thinking, reconvene for what? Like, what are we talking about here? But this is her attempt to intimidate me, to show power. So three months pass. Now we're going to have another meeting. So we walk in there. Here we go again. And, uh, and the CMO says, okay, well, we're here today because, you know, it seems like things are not getting better. And I'm like, I look at him and I said, I don't understand what you're talking about. What, what are we doing here? And he looks at me and goes, listen, I'm here to help. Tell me, what are you feeling? We're friends here. Tell me what you're feeling. Tell me what's bothering you. I said, this is not a therapy session. 
I am not here because it's personal. This is a job. This is my career. And she called this meeting. So why don't we ask her what the problem is? And here we go again. The fucking lights. That's all she has. And the damn nurses again. So I, I said, again, we already addressed this the last time. I, I don't understand. And I said, um, listen, Dr. M, I, I don't understand what's going on, but I do know one thing. I don't owe you my career. I don't owe you this position. I don't owe you my education. I don't owe you anything. I'm here to do a job and you are complaining that it's not getting done. Now, I'm here asking you once again, what are we not doing so I can address it? And she looks at me and she says, you are professional. You are a great administrator. At that moment, my boss steps in and says, well, that's not what you said in the emails yesterday. I wanted to get up and chest pump him. Like, what? You're going to go against this crazy, evil bitch? Oh, my God. He's my hero. Exactly. Exactly. I couldn't believe it. So at that moment, the CMO stops the meeting and says, can you guys give me a minute alone with the supervisor? So they all get up. We all leave. So my supervisor and the CMO are in the room alone. Five minutes go by. We, we go back in and we continue. Okay, well, we're going to meet another three months hoping that, you know, we are able to salvage this relationship. Whatever. We walk out. My boss says, hold on, hold on. And I said, okay, what, what happened? What were they talking about? He goes, he basically told me, you better be careful. She has power. These meetings were pointless and didn't resolve anything. It was Dr. M's way of exerting her power over Connie and a tactic to get Connie to back down. But Connie wasn't backing down. She had integrity and she cared about doing the right thing. Her driving motivation was to help her community, while Dr. M's driving force was a power trip. Unfortunately, Dr. M's amassed power was too big of a force to take on. Okay, so, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, this is a nightmare. But, you know, she doesn't come to my office. She doesn't touch anything. We're just functioning. We're working. COVID hits. Now it's a little nightmare. Now we're like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Everyone's getting sick. And I have a nurse in that clinic that she works in. She comes to me. And she says, uh, I need to tell you something. And I can't keep it inside anymore. I need to tell somebody. I said, okay, we'll have a seat. Uh, and I've always been the kind of person that stands up for my employees. I will take the bullet. I will take the, the anything. I am the face. These are, my, these are my people. And I've never sold out myself for anything. I've never been the kind of person that turned my cheek just because I didn't want to get involved. I just can't do it. I'm not cut that way. So she tells me that we have a, a provider, a, a, not a nurse and not a doctor, but somewhere in between, that is providing care to young women without a chaperone in the rooms, which is against policy. And uh, she confronted him and he was like, yeah, I even touched their breast. 
to make sure that there's everything's normal. We're talking about 13-year-olds. There's nothing abnormal about a 13-year-old's breast. She said, and I think it's inappropriate. Again, I'm a mandated reporter, right? So now I'm like, holy crap. Okay. So she said, I was going to tell Dr. M, but you know how it is in that clinic. Everything gets swept under the rug. Nothing's going to get done. And I feel that it's appropriate for us to bring it to the higher levels because these are victims. I said, I, I agree with you 100%. We're not going to continue to re-victimize, you know, young ladies. So we're going to make a report. I get on my email and I send an email to literally like all the head honchos. Not her, though, because she's not even a county or a public figure, right? So I, my bosses, my people. And I make the complaint. I say, hey, I have some concerns. Policies and procedures are being broken. This is very, very important to follow up. One day goes by, two days go by, three days go by. I call my boss. Hey, did you get my email? He goes, yeah. What happened? He's like, I don't know. There's the C-suite said they're going to take care of it. I said, but I haven't heard from HR or anything. He's like, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm following up. I get an email from him and says, hey, what's going on with this? This is a huge allegation. We really need to get on it. Nothing. The nurse who made the complaint calls me and says, hey, Dr. M is spreading a rumor around the clinic that you're getting demoted. I said, demoted? I've never been in trouble in my life. What are you talking about? Demotion. I'm like, what? It doesn't work like that. But at that moment, I knew exactly what was coming. So the next day I called out sick because I was sick to my stomach because I knew what was coming. I knew it. I called out sick for the rest of the week. I told my boss, I'm not coming to work. And then Monday comes and there's a new organizational chart and they have completely removed me from my two departments. And they shoved me in this little department that, you know, my, my 17 year old can run from home with his eyes closed. So everything was gone. This is much bigger than just retaliation. This is about someone who doesn't have power, who has been given power over a public sector, taxpaying dollars. And it's sad because it continues. I'm sure it continues. And nobody, not the director of the the whole services, not the CEO, not the CMO, not the politicians that have been voted in will do anything to protect somebody like little old me like little old me who i i've dedicated my life to to this they they don't care and this is why this you know how they talk about the dmv how employees are like in the dmv this is reason why because there's so much injustice within our 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 structure that at some point you just don't give a shit for many years, I've had some experiences that kind of, put, you know, stopped me in my tracks. And I thought to myself, what? This is bullshit. But then you're like, no, no, no. You're just, you know, you're making things up. You know, you're, you're just move on. But now I have this time to sit back and reflect and think, shit, the whole thing is corrupt. From when the, the old CEO told me, once I made a complaint about this woman that was harassing me, she told me, you just don't understand her. And I said, I'm not a fucking social worker. That's not my job. She said, well, you're a great administrator and I would hate to see you get blackballed. 
Connie hasn't been back to the hospital in over a year, but she's still an employee. What bothers her more than having her career derailed by the corrupt system is that there's people like Dr. M who have the well-being of her community in their hands. For Connie, it was never about looking good or being seen as a hero. It was about the people of her community, the patients that came to her hospital because they were in a traumatic, highly abusive situation and they needed help. So the victims that we see in this clinic already have been victimized. We're talking about commercially sexually uh, trafficked young ladies. So this is why, for me, it was important to be over that department and that clinic so I could make sure that the children were getting, you know, the right treatment. I always say there's three there's three uh, beings that need protection: the grandmas and grandpas, the babies, and the and the pets. They can't speak for themselves. My in my career overseeing those two departments, I did some great things for the community. I opened up a the first farmers market for the community at the hospital grounds. Nobody else had done it. I opened up the first in the county uh, breast milk bank. I had a kids' health fair for the community for seven years with zero budget. But I'm like, well, you know what? I I did what I was supposed to do in this career. Now I'm just going to move on to something else. Unfortunately, nothing's been resolved. She's still there. I'm gone. I'm planning on resigning once, you know, I, I, I exhaust my medical leave and I'll move on to something else. Um, just the idea of going back literally brings me to tears. I'm not going to go back. I'll figure something out. I just cannot see myself going back. Connie's decision to move on from her 16 years at this hospital didn't come without some overwhelming emotions and tears. She said it was a sort of grieving process for the loss of something she believed in, and where she felt she was in a place that allowed her to serve her purpose. She's spoken to several attorneys about her story, but none of them were willing to take her case. She's still in a transitional period, figuring out the next best move, hoping that her goodwill and passion for people will lead her to a new opportunity that will allow her to flourish. Next time on Toxic Workplace... All he cared about was production. He didn't care if it was at the expense of someone's health, maybe even life. All he cared about was production. It was all a power play. He is always, do as I say or you'll suffer the consequences. He knew exactly what I was trying to say. He knew what my job description was. He just didn't care. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Do you have a story you'd like to share on our show? Go to ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com and click on Be a Guest. Fill out the submission information and we'll be in contact. Your story will be told anonymously. All names are changed to protect the privacy of the company and its employees. We look forward to hearing from you. And hey, by the way, if you like this podcast, please be sure to leave a positive review. It's much appreciated.